Hey, hello there. It's good to be here. Actually, it's good to be anywhere. This is H. Lee, a.k.a. Harris Insler. And you are listening to TGMBH. These ghosts must be heard. A podcast that shares stories and interviews with people who have suffered a loss due to OUD and to others who might be impacted by OUD, opioid use disease. Today's guest is Debbie Dalton. Debbie, would you please say hello to our listeners? Hello, everyone. Debbie, could you please tell the listeners something about your demographics, where you live, what kind of community, and your relationship to the ghost? I live in Cornelius, North Carolina, a lake community, really close-knit community. We're north of Charlotte, North Carolina. And what kind of you know, socioeconomic kind of area is it? I would say we are middle to upper class. Tell us a little bit about your son. Okay, well, if I'm going to get started talking about Hunter, we might be here all night, I'll be <laughs> honest. Hunter, you know, I know that any parent is going to brag about their child, and that's just sort of the nature of, of what we do. But Hunter truly had a gift, and that gift was for making every single person that he ever met feel special. He loved unconditionally. He never saw size, shape, the color of somebody's skin, nothing. He just loved equally. If you met Hunter, you were guaranteed a huge smile minimum, but usually a, a hug. There's several stories, but one couple that stand out, a young lady told me that when she was in college, she was significantly overweight and very self-conscious. But she said every time that she saw Hunter, he made her feel like she was Miss America. Wow. Yeah. He just, he truly had that gift. You remembered Hunter and he remembered you and he remembered everything about you. He just was to this day, the happiest person I have ever known in my life. Another young man told me that when he started second grade, he looked different than the other kids. These are his words. And he walked in the classroom and everybody was looking at him. And he said, from the furthest corner, this little guy ran across the room and grabbed his hand and said, you're going to be my new best friend. They were friends and, and fraternity brothers in college, actually. Wow. Just by one look. He just wanted everybody to feel important. That, like I said, it was a gift. And I certainly, I continue to learn lessons from Hunter. I really do about how to live your life. The teacher now is the student. Yes, for sure. Did he have any favorite activities growing up? Any special skills, talents, future goals, things like that? He was involved in all sports growing up. He played soccer. He played softball. You know, then, of course, as they get older, they sort of weed out. And, and his love was basketball and football. And then, you know, as he got older, that segued into golf. He had a genuine love for golf. Our favorite day of the year every day, Hunter and I went to the tournament on Saturday and enjoyed the Masters at Augusta National, just something special that we did together. But he truly loved sports. His goal, once he graduated college, was, was to be a sports agent for, for a long time. Wow. That's neat. Boy. I think you said that your family would travel. Were there any special places, special moments in one of those trips? Hunter did get to, to travel all over the world. And, and that was a true love of his. He got the nickname. <laughs> he went on a cruise with some friends, actually, that wasn't with us. And he got the nickname, The Captain, because they have an iconic picture of Hunter on the dance floor with the captain's hat on and probably 40 women. I mean, that just was <laughs> Hunter's MO. But for me and Hunter, the most special trip, I took him to Ireland for his 17th birthday. Nice. And I remember being in St. Patrick's Cathedral 
And it was just one of those serendipitous moments. You know, tourists aren't allowed past a certain spot. We got there early. At the end of the day, Hunter and myself were able to sit in the service in the first pew and and enjoy that. Still gives me chills to this day to remember that. Did uh, did he have a special group of friends or just, you know, one one bestie or two or things like that? Again, he had so many different groups of friends. And what I continue to hear was he was the glue that brought a lot of different groups of friends together. He was very close to his high school friends, certainly his Chi-Fi fraternity brothers. Somebody told me that you will probably hear a hundred times Hunter was my best friend. Hmm. And I have. He loved people. It's a good thing. I put myself in his camp. I'm more of a humanitarian. And that's what sounds like uh, that he was. He was just joyful, joyful and happy. And, you know, I would I would challenge anybody, again, if you were around him, not to feel better than before you, you know, were with him. What would make Hunter laugh? <laughs> Himself. <laughs> he was this really good looking young man, very charismatic, but he was goofy and he would be the very first person to laugh at himself. And he would do that wholeheartedly and, and get everybody else laughing too. It's, it's funny. That's where my son would gravitate to that kind of behavior or whatever you want to call it. He was always looking to make people laugh, whether it be joke or some sarcastic remark. Absolutely. Usually, usually he knew the reaction he was going to get, but he would be one step ahead of the person that he was trying to be sarcastic with. Uh, I bet sometimes that was at your expense, right? Because uh, I know certainly Hunter's father was at his expense sometimes for sure. He he didn't spare me. Yep. I think mostly he might have spared his mother, but anybody yep. was game. And I've been finding that a lot of the people I talk to their children were characters, male or female, didn't matter. Maybe it's, I don't know, maybe that's something to research, who knows. Do you have now, maybe you told me your stories already, do you have a favorite story or memory of Hunter? Oh, so many. One I was just recently reminded of from my dear sisters. They were cleaning out my parents' house and they found this. And what it was, was Hunter had sent my parents, Nanny and Papa, to him. He was sending them a thank you for a scooter that they had given him. And we're talking about four-year-old Hunter at this point. And, you know, it's kind of one of those generic thank yous. But he wanted to send money with the thank you to Nanny and Papa. And I tried to tell him, sweetie, you don't need to send money to Nanny and Papa. Well, he got his feelings hurt. He said, but I want to send them something so they can get something nice. So he took all the money out of his little piggy bank, which was $2.11. And he sent the card, which said, thank you for the scooter. You know, he just filled in his name. And I wrote on the back the story and said, you know, Hunter really wanted you to have this. And I joked and I said, don't spend it all in one place. Well, my mom kept it all those years. And when my sisters were cleaning out their house, they found the card with the $2.11 still in it. And the story of Hunter, which was like, you know how that is when you are reminded of a memory that you sure. may have away and oh, tears were just streaming from me and Randy because my sisters had the card 
and the two dollars and eleven cents and everything framed and sent to us. Oh, that's that's so sweet. Yeah, but that but again, that was Hunter. You know, he yeah. Nanny and Papa need something nice. They do nice things for me. You took video of him, right, growing up. I have so much video, yes. and I was such an obnoxious picture taker. <laughs> or you know, like back when you just took the film and you didn't know what you were getting. And I'm so grateful for that. I have over 150 photo albums. The thing that I'm not good or savvy at at all is technology. So I do have to start going through because I have every kind of, I feel like camera with little cartridges, big cartridges of videos. And, and I know there's a gold mine there. You know, that is on my, my list of things to do. He was such a little sweetheart, I tell you. He, he was. And that I did the same thing. We Thank keep, goodness, right, that we yeah. have these characters. There's yeah. just, you couldn't put a price on them. Nope, nope. And, you know, they helped me. They helped For me. sure. Even right after he, he died, I just started looking at them. I cried, I laughed. And through the years, mostly I laughed. I like to hear Hunter's voice. And I still, I have just a couple of um, short little snippets, like from his work that somebody had videoed. And at least once a week, I have to hear his voice. I love you, Hunter. That was sweet. Okay, now we go to some darker moments. When was the first time that Hunter interacted with drugs, to your knowledge? High school. Unfortunately, a couple of things happened there. There were some parents that, that thought that was better for the kids to get together and smoke weed than to drink. And unbeknownst to us, because we used to be the house where all the kids came to. We always had a house full of boys. And then in high school, that kind of changed. And I'll be honest, you know, going back to my generation, I really probably was not as freaked out about that because of the way that things were during my generation, you know, what's, what's the worst that can happen kind of thing. Right. If you had, if you, if you did if yeah. you smoked or something, I mean, I'm, I'm uh, from that era too. And it depends on who you're with. It depends on a lot of things. It depends on your brain also, but we didn't know right. that then. We had no idea. And probably jumping ahead, but the drugs are also different. I'm sorry. They are. Oh yeah. Um, oh, we're not dealing with the same animal and, you know, Hunter drank, but you know, the irony, we would go to the islands, which of course, Hunter always looked older than he was and he could drink <laughs> and other families would go with us. And, and there was always somebody that was passed out or something, but Hunter could handle his, his liquor. You know, he did really well and he would drink a pretty good bit at the, on these beach trips and stuff, but we saw him handling it and still functioning and, and not appearing to be a problem or anything. This is in um, high school I'm talking about now. Oh. So we're probably up to like 10th, 11th grade, oh, okay, you know, right. he's 16, 17 years old right. that we would take these trips and, you know, they give him a little band. He, he was old enough, looked old enough. Mm -hmm. And wow. Um, and you, you also kind of feel like he's under his parents' supervision and we're keeping a close eye on him and he's going to start drinking, doing these things. So we'll start at least thinking we were in control. Right. Or just, you know, you're there, it was okay for you, but each person is different. As right. We, as we found out, all of us. How did the drugs affect Hunter? Uh, this is when he started smoking marijuana, correct? Yeah, and you know, 
I'm going to be honest. I, I don't know that we saw any kind of effect with them to the point that let's say Hunter would come home and I'm like, he's high. And Rainey would be like, no, he's not. Yeah. You know, but I would, it's not that he even was acting different. I could just tell from the eyes or whatever. Sure. Other than me knowing and him denying it, that kind of atmosphere, there wasn't a, a problem as far as him not functioning or, or anything like that. You know, he was going to school, he was playing football. So everything was, was good on that front. Right. You think, you know, okay, he can handle what, whatever he can handle. Yeah. He worked out. He helped o- open an orange theory up here by the lake, you know, worked there part-time, worked at a golf course part-time, Yeah. you know, paid his, his bills, paid for his car. You know, even the last couple of years that he was at school, because he was at UNC Charlotte, because he was working up here at the lake, he did live at home. So we're, we're seeing him too. We're not seeing anything that was concerning to us. So at, at this point, you're saying when he was in college, this whole thing really didn't affect you and the family or his friends that much, correct? No, it, it did not. He was, like I said, he was functioning. Other than me calling him out, just even with drinking or any of that partying that goes along with fraternity in college and me being worried all the time. And I can't pin that on, oh, I'm worried about drugs. I, I really wasn't, you know, that wasn't at the forefront. It was more... Uh, is he going to have a drink and get in the car and get in an accident? Or is he, you know, that kind of thing. And because I had the text messages, you know, wherever you are, spend the night. He was very communicative. You know, he talked to me all the time. He, he was but, he's responsible. He, but, <laughs> I mean. As far as he could be. <laughs> yeah. And kind of forced to be. I mean, I definitely stayed on top of it. And one of the things that really touched my heart, I, I was able, because we had Hunter's phone, to see some text messages and when everything was going down, how worried everybody was because they knew how close me and Hunter were. And I saw that in some of their writing. And and it could be because they always heard him on the phone with me because I was always checking in with them. <laughs> I don't know. But we were super close. The, the, the whole family, very close. Does he have any uh, voicemails to you? No, I don't. Um, they texted. They like to text, right? kids he never left a voicemail ever because if he called and i said why didn't you leave a voicemail well mom i called that means call me i like i said i do have a lot of videos you know i have i love you mommy on the video and that was him graduating from high school that i replay and listen to and watch i think if my memory serves me right or i've been looking at too many videos did you have a a yearly thing with him I did. I did. Absolutely. I'm not going crazy. Yeah. From the time he was four, I set him on the same spot on the steps at the end of the school year. And we had an interview about the school year. And you really can because it's one video. You can see Hunter change and thing. But that's the one I'm talking about where he, after high school, we knew that was the last video. I wasn't going to do that, you know, in college. (laughs) College. I'm coming here. here. (laughs) Yeah. Come in here and sit on the steps and tell me about your college. And and he, w- and he says in there, you know, I said, I don't want to end the video. And he says, well, I do. <laughs> yeah. I kind of don't want to end the video. It makes me sad. <laughs> I'll do it for you. But he always ended every year, regardless of how old he was, with I love you, Mommy. And that's what he said. <laughs> love you, Mom. I love you, Hunter. I, I, I love you so much, Mom. I love you too, honey. Yeah, I love you, Mommy. I love you, buddy. We never hung the phone up. And I mean, his dad and him... Yeah. His aunts, his grandparents, it was, and even if things were curt, I still got to love you. 
you know, even if, <laughs> even if I was like, come home or something, um, I, we just, we never hung the phone up without saying, I love you. Uh, and I'm so grateful for that. That's a, I'm glad that Zach did that with you because that's, that's a special, you know, everybody doesn't do that. I feel like everybody should. I do that you now know. with my friends, relatives and whomever. Me too. So he was in college. He was doing okay. How did things change? What happened? How did things get worse? Well, they really, you know, that's what I've kind of tried to talk to you about that I'm in this world and I've talked with the parents that just had the horrifying, you know, this spiraling out of control and the drugs getting a hold of their kids and rehabs and in and out of rehabs yep. and yep. them not functioning. And that's not our story. And the thing that I tell everybody that I get a chance, you know, it's not you until it is you. No person gets up in the morning and says, I'm going to have substance use disorder or start having an issue with drugs. Nobody, nobody starts out that way. You know, there's still such a population out there that thinks recreational drugs and they can't say my fingers doing the air quotes, but that's what these kids think they are. They think there's drugs that are okay to do. And quite honestly, before this happened with Hunter, I fell in that same camp. Yep. If I heard the word overdose, I thought of somebody in a back alley with a needle in their arm. Same here. It, this couldn't ever be part of my world. It would never be part of my world. And I just can't reiterate that enough to anybody listening. It's not you until it is. The drugs that are out there now. Oh, please. The disease that's out there. Everything that's happening. You know, it's, it's every demographic. Nobody is safe. There's no safe drug out there. There's no safe source. We were shocked to our cores. I'm sure you were. Every family that I talked to, you know, it's just, this isn't our world. You look back at our family pictures. There was so much love in our house, you know, and I, I get frustrated when the finger pointing or the, well, he made a decision, bad decision or whatever. Sure he did. And he would own that if he was here, but never thinking that this was going to be the outcome ever. He would want to be here. Of course. You think these kids or adults or whomever got up in the morning and every day of life, oh, I, maybe now it's time to become a drug addict. <laughs> no, the drugs that are out there now, you can't control them. You know, we're reminded of that when you even look at the celebrities and things that have happened to them. I mean, think yeah. about the people that they have vetting in their life and the resources that they have and they can't control them. Right. What chance do our kids you know, that's part of what I'm trying to do is I do think that knowledge is power and that families need to know they cannot do the generic drugs are bad for you. There needs to be specificity. You know, they need to definitely talk about fentanyl, which is a game changer. Oh. And the stuff that's out there is just deadly and the fentanyls and everything. Not only that, it's just that even the marijuana they have now is like 10 times more potent than when we were kids. There's stories where that's been tampered with, you know, we haven't got to what actually happened to Hunter, so I won't jump ahead. But yeah, I've heard horror tales of kids thinking they're just smoking some weed or just taking a Percocet or just right, a Xan. Right, right, How harmful can that be? That's in my parents' medicine cabinet. Exactly. You know, a whole culture hasn't really figured this out. You know, some sometimes Percocet is okay, sometimes it's not. When a kid, like you said, sees a Percocet in the, in the bathroom there in the medicine closet... 
oh, well, it must be okay. But then they go on the street, it's not okay. And you can imagine in a specific story, a woman called me, her daughter never had done any drugs, anything. And a good friend of hers, again, you can't trust any source or any drug that's out there. Right. Unknowingly, you know, thought she was being helpful to a friend and gotten a Xanax from somebody else and told her to just take half the Xanax to relax before some exam in college. And she did. And they know that because the other half was on her nightstand and it was laced with fentanyl and she died. How did you find out about Hunter? When everything happened? Yes. I mean, what did happen? Hunter came home for Thanksgiving 2016. We had an amazing Hallmark Thanksgiving weekend, you know, ate too much food, laughed. Hmm. Sunday night, he, and this words gets it's a little tough, but okay. <laughs> but he uh, he had graduated college, you know, and he'd gotten a really good job in Raleigh, North Carolina, which is about three hours from us. And he gave me a big hug and told me that he loved me. And I always told Hunter, you know, not always, but certainly when he was heading off, I would say make good decisions. Mm. And so the last thing he said to me was, Mom, I, I would never do anything stupid. I did the mommy thing, watched Hunter drive out the driveway waving, and and um, I got a text said, home safe. And then the next night, I was sitting at my kitchen table writing Christmas cards, and I literally had just signed the very first one, and I put Randy's name and my name. And then I paused, and I thought, well, do I put Hunter's name? Because technically, he's moved out of the house now. What is the etiquette? But then I got a big old smile on my face, and I'm like, it's always been Randy, Debbie, and Hunter. You know, it always will be. And I am writing his name and my phone rings and it says Hunter. And I answer the phone and I hear this is Blake, who was his roommate. And I knew it was bad news because Hunter had only been living in Raleigh for two months. I'd only met Blake once. So I was ready to hear Hunter had been in an accident. I I thought that's what was coming next. Mm. And Blake said, Debbie Hunter's overdosed. And I just went to my knees. I heard a noise. That didn't even sound human. It was me. And I'm just screaming. And my husband had to come take the phone. And then the police got on the phone and told us that that Hunter was alive and they were rushing him to the hospital. We were out of the house in a minute. Right. <laughs> grabbed a bag. And I mean, there's nothing you know funny about any of this. But if you saw the stuff we threw in the bag, it didn't even make any sense. But sure. we, we were racing and in between like sobbing and what do you mean overdose? How did, how did Hunter overdose? Like what? No, he smokes weed. You know, he parties a little, he can't overdose. And I kept calling the hospital and I was talking to a really nice doctor for several of the calls. And he said, we're about to take Hunter off of um, whatever they had had him on sedated. Mm -hmm. And so he said, call back. Well, I got a different doctor and this is how such a statement about the state that we're in, quite frankly, because this doctor, answers the phone. And I said, no, I'm trying to get Dr. Such and such. And he said, no, I'm in here. I'm in the room with Hunter. And I said, well, how is he? And he goes, well, there's no brain activity. And I'm like, what does that mean? You know, and I'm screaming. And and I said, are you telling me that he's not going to make it? And this doctor literally said to me, what do you want me to say to you? People die of overdose every day. Oh, that's, he said that's that to the mother, you know, and by the time we got there, And we come in and Hunter looked beautiful. You know, he looked perfectly fine. And the doctor that met us said, you know what? I am super optimistic about this young man. He is strong. Hunter was six foot three. He was very healthy. He worked out all the time. 
And he's like, he's got a really good chance. He said, we're going to give him a better chance and we're going to put him in a hyperthermic state and um, give it a couple of days. And he said, but I really don't want to sound overly optimistic, but I'm optimistic. Did they try Narcan? Well, yes, they did use Narcan, but by the time the paramedics had gotten there, his roommate wouldn't have known to right. use Narcan. They thought that he had just done cocaine. Oh, okay. You know, not knowing it was cut with fentanyl. We, you know, waited anxiously. And, and another testament to Hunter, uh, hundreds. So many people came to the hospital that one of the nurses said at their nurses meeting, they asked her what celebrity was in there. Wow. Um, one woman came up to me and said, I literally met your son in Charlotte on a golf course for 10 minutes. And I heard what happened and I drove three hours. I knew when they pulled him out of the hypothermic state, I was watching the nurse and I saw her face and I knew it was really bad, but she wouldn't tell us anything. And then when the doctor came in and ran everybody out, he told me and Randy to sit down. And I said, I'm not going to sit down because in my mind, if I didn't sit down, he wouldn't give me bad news. Right. You know, I'm just going to stand here because you won't, tell me them. But even then they were, they were telling us that we would not be leaving the hospital with the same hunter that had come into the hospital. Um, But it still was not as, as grim as it ended up being. It just progressively got worse and he never did regain consciousness. So I held his hand for seven days um, until he took his last breath. We had to drive five and a half hours to Boston from New York. Let's say there were no speed limits for me. It was laced with something. I'm pretty sure. I read about bad heroin in Boston in 2006, which is when he died. And when we got there, they, they gave us like a night. We looked at him. He was, you know, on the machines and they didn't say anything. He said, let's see what happens tomorrow. They said his organs were failing. And we had my daughter came up by bus and we said, okay, I guess there's nothing else we can do. So we had to call it because I didn't want him to be a vegetable after this or anything, I think. That's not what they would want. I mean, I could have seriously held my son's hand for the rest of my life. I'm sure everybody would agree that that's not, well, really nobody would want that. No, no, And I would never do that. And I know you wouldn't do that to your son. It's just. They wouldn't want us to. No, they wouldn't. I went to the abyss. I mean, I went to a horrible dark place when everything happened and I saw a counselor One of the things that he kept reminding me was that when the first day that I walked in, I said, my son had an incredible life. And he would say, you know, Debbie, I'm counseling people our age and older that can't say that. Right. And that is one thing that I hold on to so tightly because that kid did not miss one second of his life. I guess it's not the quantity of years. It's the quality of those years. Yeah, I, I have to believe that. And I also think one of Hunter's friends was just screaming at God and he is a a religious young man, but he was just so angry. And he told me, he said, Debbie, I was just like, why Hunter? Why Hunter? And he said, I don't even know if this is the right thing to say to you, but I had such a peace come over me. And my thought was it had to be Hunter. Not a lot of people could be out there sharing his story and trying to make sure this doesn't happen to other people. And I know what the young man meant was that people relate to Hunter and they connect with him. And then the message comes through loud and clear. Like if this can happen to your son, to my son, to your neighbor's son. And since this happened to you, it it's almost daily that the story is repeated that I know of, you know, that somehow in a circle 
of somebody that I know that knows somebody and, and that's not even everybody. It's still getting worse too. Yeah. The numbers are horrible. The numbers are horrible and we're not hearing about it in the news. And when I speak to, or, you know, I had such momentum going before COVID. I, yes. I, my last audience, I had 1400 students. Wow. That's great. In a rural area where they had bust them in and you could have heard a pen drop. Yes. And Oh yeah. When I start talking, of course, the first thing when I bring up weed, I get the snickers, you know, like mm. these kids have already, and I'm talking middle school, high school. Yeah. They've already done that. But then when I start talking about fentanyl, it's just blanks. They don't have any idea what I'm talking about or that a Percocet or Xanax or, or even quite frankly, I also talk about underage drinking because there's, mm. there's that too. There's just so much. And, and I was guilty of being that parent that thought I was doing everything, you know, thought I had talked about drugs, thought I had done everything I needed to do, but it wasn't enough. You know, there's you, there's a parent, there's a society, there's the child himself that sometimes we think we know what they're thinking and what's going on. Sometimes, you know, we, we maybe we don't know the whole story. I've actually been where somebody else has been speaking and there's so many people in the throes of, of what is going on in this country but they seem to imply that it only happens to people that have something missing in their life or that they're, you know, and certainly, certainly mental health is a part of, of this. I'm not going to say it's not, but, but I'm, my warning to anybody listening is there's not going to be some neon sign over your young person that tells you that they've decided to experiment with drugs for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. And it, it definitely does not necessarily mean that there's been some trauma in their life. Like I said, Hunter was the happiest person I've ever known. Mm-hmm. You know, he didn't do it because he needed to be happy. He just did it. Right. You know, it was, it's their way of partying. I mean, it is. That is part of it. That's not all of it. But that is a piece of it that needs to be sure. addressed. Helped. Yeah. If you could say anything to Hunter right now, what would you say? Oh, come back. (laughs) I would say I love you. And I would also say thank you. Thank you for being this incredible son. I don't know if this applies to you, but I want to talk a little bit about stigma. Did you feel any stigma at all? I definitely have seen stigma attached more with the substance use disorder but trust me, I'm not immune. Absolutely not. I remember somebody on social media, I, w- I was really just throwing the question out there. How do we, you know, how do we fix this? And, and what's not being done that can be done? And this person responded, well, it has to start with a loving home. <laughs> and it was such a slap in my face. And I'm like, we have to eradicate the stigma associated with all this. These are beautiful, loving, caring people that we're losing, that were valuable. When he died, a lot of people knew right away. Is that correct? Yes. You know, social media had blown up for the whole week that he was in the hospital. And, you know, I still can't say the D word. I have not been able to say that. If I'm talking about Hunter, it's what happened to him. Like, I I just can't say it. It's a a coping. It's protecting yourself in a way, I guess. Yeah. I know the reality, but. Yeah. After he passed, did you right away tell people what happened? Yes. To the point that, and I'll be honest with you, 
all we knew was overdose. Right. I mean, we knew what his, his roommate had told us. And so we knew Coke, but it took a while to get the exact details as far as like a toxicology report and that kind of thing. But it was months after it happened that I got a text from his friend that had given him the drugs. The text just said, dear God, can you ever forgive me? Well, and of course, we immediately said, of course, you're forgiven. He had no idea. Right. Neither did he. Right. No, he, he would have never intentionally. I mean, you know, it could have been the other way around. I right. could have given somebody because that's just it. You, you know, you don't know that any of these sources are trustworthy. You referred to when we were kids. We didn't think anything like that would happen, right? No. No, I mean, no. all right, someone gave you some, a joint or something and okay, party. I don't know. I was never thinking like that. And you said you weren't either. I, I never heard of anybody overdosing from <laughs> cocaine even. I mean, I not in my world, you know, that was just a party drug that was okay back then. Right. And, and I think that so many of them still think that today. Two things I think are missing. We are trying to fill that void. One, the education that's needed I don't know how you can present it to kids because they're all, you know, they risk take, they do all things like we did stupid things. I'm sure we all did that. But now it's so much more dangerous because you don't know what you're getting all the time. Exactly. I mean, that's the point that we just need to continually you yeah. know, drive home. It just, no trusted drug and there's no second chances. You know, used to be, if we messed up, we got in trouble with our parents. Right. You know, maybe, maybe the law, I mean, I don't know, but we didn't have screw ups that caused us to lose our life. Not like it's happening today. And, you know, I will say Hunter made a bad decision that night, but without all the facts, there's right. no way my son right. thought the decision he was making was going to end his life. So how do we move past stigma and confronting it? Well, it's, it's heartless, first of all. Yes. And sadly, I have seen that that side of people that it's just, you scratch your head. Um, but that's a million dollar question. It really is. You know, I know that that's part of what my foundation is trying to do. Uh, I know so many people locally that are working to eradicate the stigma. I would think that there's enough out there, you know, that stereotypes should be breaking down. Again, these are loving young people that we're losing and from good homes. And I, I don't get it. I pray for these people that are ugly and my kid would never, you know, I hope not. I hope you're right, but you might not be, hmm. you know, those people that are saying it, it would never be my kid. I get the sympathy for sure, but I see it and sometimes even hear it. You know, I'm, I'm so glad that my kids have made the decision to never do drugs. Oh, okay. Well, let me know how that works out. For you. Tell us the name of your foundation and what is its driving message? Well, it's the Hunter Dalton HD Life Foundation, and HD comes from, people used to say, Hunter, what are you up to? And his response was always, man, I'm just living the HD life, HD, <laughs> Hunter Dalton, right. high definition, whatever. But we are really all about education. One of Hunter's really good friends wrote a song, and I'm sure you've seen this, Harris, the yes. video. Yes. He wrote um, the HD Life song, and it's in hip-hop genre. And as a right. family, we made the decision to produce a music video to go with that song. And the video reenacts everything that happened to us, starting with a phone call. And there's 
certainly gut-wrenching, obviously, for me, but I, I think anybody watching, picture of Hunter in the hospital in that video, I think it's very powerful, and it is part of the presentation when I go to schools. I introduce everybody to Hunter through a little video that we have, and then I talk about him, we play the video, and then, you know, there are some hard-hitting facts that I that I let the young people know. And again, I speak to businesses and so forth. It's, you know, knowledge is power. I know that, to your point, kids are going to be reckless and they're still going to make bad decisions and they may even forget what I said at my presentation, but we're reaching some of them. I know I've gotten letters and messages and emails from parents and students, you know, that have said as a result of hearing Hunter's story, again, I give Hunter all the credit um, mm -hmm. that they are not going to do drugs. You know, we give every student that hears our story an HD life bracelet. And our hope is that they'll wear the bracelets as a dual reminder. First of all, just live a good life, make good decisions, you know, be that one that is nice to your teacher and respectful and, and you know, give a stranger a nice smile, you know, that's the HD life, but then also have that bracelet on and remember, you know, one second, one decision and no second chance. And that's permanent. It's still not real to me. We're coming up on five years for us, December 4th this year. Right. And I say that out loud and it feels like it was five minutes ago right. and then sometimes it feels like it was 500 years ago you know it just yeah. I'm still looking for Hunter to walk through the door and I, I look for him in everything that I do well we we have a bird feeder in the back of our house and Zach had this beautiful head of red hair oh and we have the food that they cardinals like and he pays us a visit now and then which is so special. I know. And I bet you see signs, don't you, from Zach? I mean, I feel like I do. I think there's signs that just you cannot explain away to coincidence. I and I really, truly do believe that that's Hunter. You know, here. <laughs> I hear you talk about Zach and you've hear, heard me talk about Hunter. I, you know, in, in the next place, they're they're definitely friends and hanging out. And, yep. You know, I could see that for sure. But we're going to keep our boys alive. That's my mission. That's it. You know? and all the music that you hear when you listen to the podcast, it's all from his band that he was in. Wow. Yeah. And his friend still is making music. He's helping me with some of the intros and outros for the podcast. Wow. That's special. That gave me chill bumps. <laughs> me that too. Boy. Just talking to you about it. I know. Um, is there anything else you'd like to leave our listeners? Well, I would encourage them to visit our website. You know, I think that it's a good tool, a jumping off board if you want to have specific conversations with your children. If, if not our website, you know, come armed with good information and, and get your kids' attention, whatever it takes. And if it's not you that can get their attention, find somebody that can. That's it. You know, one other thing that we haven't talked about, and it may have been talked about on some of your other podcasts, is the Good Samaritan Law. And I would encourage parents to talk to their kids and be aware of, of how the law is in your state, but but let your kids know not to leave a friend behind. Right. Yeah. Not to leave a friend behind. Sadly, that is the story because kids think that they're going to be in trouble. And, and parents, you don't want your kid to leave somebody behind and something horrific happen. But even worse, you don't want your kid left behind. So have those kind of conversations as well. That's good. That's a good thought. So I enjoyed this conversation with you. And you really, you really gave me a couple things to think about. Thank you, Harris. And, uh, well, I enjoyed talking with you as well. And I appreciate so much all that you're doing. You're just 
nonstop and it is so appreciated. And I, I feel genuine love for you and for what you're doing and what your family's doing to, to keep your son's memory alive in honor of him um, and to save other people and other families from going through what we've gone through because you can't put that into words. You just can't, but we wouldn't wish it on anybody. Right. That's, that's the thing. I just want to save the life. That's it. Absolutely. Okay. And you are doing that. I feel sure you are. Yeah, I hope so. Did you ever feel like nobody is listening? Sometimes I do, especially when I'm engaging with advocating about OUD or SUD. This necessitated a review of the topics and ideas I share on the podcast and website. I've discovered that I had not always delved deeply enough with some of the information I have found. So, I am formally telling you that I am not an expert on every topic I've investigated. However, I am an expert in what I've experienced in life. You should always investigate any topic I put out there and do your own research if you think it's not accurate. Please let me know if you found something so I can learn and further my education. I learned this after a scientist, who shall go unnamed, but is my wife, pointed out some information I've talked about which did not give the whole story. So, for the future, I will be double-checking with the scientist slash wifey to vet what I say. Let's just say I was half right on a particular subject, but that is not good enough for you, my dear listeners. I hope you all can forgive me, and going forward, I won't have to apologize again. Well, maybe I might have to, because I'm not perfect, even though I think I am. Nah, if you know me, I really don't think I'm perfect. However, I will own my missteps and do the best I can to ensure the accuracy of my work. So if you see something you view as incorrect, I will hopefully point to where I got it, if I can still find it, I'm not the most organized person, just ask the scientist, and perhaps you will send me yours. After all, we must all keep on learning, even if it shatters some of our long-held beliefs. Thanks for listening. We appreciate it very much. To stay tuned with These Ghosts Must Be Heard, Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at These Ghosts Pod. And take a look at our website, VoicesFromTheOpioidCrisis.com, to hear more stories and share your own if you'd like. Our podcast is now streaming on Spotify, Amazon, Apple Music, and coming to more soon. So there's plenty of ways to hear these ghosts. And as Zach used to say, peace out.